Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm Dr. Nadia Mohandasi, the program manager for the Emergency Management Continuous Improvement Program. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the National Local Government Liaison Cadre, which I know sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, but we'll get to more of that in just a bit. Today, we have with us Ms. Patsy Fletcher, and we have Ms. Francesca Gilbert. So, Patsy, what do you do for the Corps? Nadia, I'm a member of the ESF3 Permanent Cadre. That's Emergency Support Function 3. When we have a disaster and we work for FEMA, there are 15 different ESFs, and the Corps of Engineers has responsibility for ESF3, which is Public Works and Engineering. If I am not deployed to a disaster, I am working to prepare for that. For the permanent cadre, there are five full-time employees and our supervisor, and we divide our work up among the typical missions that the Corps of Engineers does for FEMA. I've typically had the housing mission, the roofing mission, the local government liaisons, and then I was also responsible for training our assistant team leaders for some time. And now I'm basically down to um, the roofing mission as I finish my career with the Corps. And Francesca, what about you? What do you do for the Corps? Currently, I am the Corps of Engineers Emergency Management Standardization Program Manager at the Readiness Support Center. Prior to coming on as the program manager, I spent approximately two years at FEMA Region 10 as a voluntary agency liaison. And prior to that, I worked in the Seattle District Emergency Management Branch as the National Emergency Preparedness Program Manager and was also the EOC liaison to our stakeholders, our states, our counties within our area of responsibility. All right. Thank you, Francesca. I know we kind of just launched into the language that's very familiar to us, right, being in emergency management all the time. But just for the folks who are not initiated or maybe don't work in EM, (laughs) I used an abbreviation again, emergency management um, every day. So EOC's Emergency Operations Center, and then Patsy explained ESF3 already, Emergency Support Function 3. So that's one quick distinction that the LGL program that we're talking about today, another abbreviation, the National Local Government Liaison Program, is one of those missions and programs under our support to FEMA during disasters. So Patsy, Francesca, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the mission of the LGL cadre. Okay, Nadia, so until the last few years, there was actually a separate mission assignment from FEMA for the local government liaisons from USACE. However, in most recent years, it's actually part of our regional activation. So it's a little bit easier for FEMA to tap into this resource from the Corps. The regional activation is what really gets our team leaders and our assistant team leaders out the door first, especially during what we call pre-declaration status. If it's a known event like a hurricane coming in, that FEMA can pre-position assets. So typically it's the team leaders, assistant team leaders, and some of our subject matter experts, such as for debris, roofing, housing, may go out even before landfall. But now with the LGLs being a part of that, It's a little bit easier for FEMA to tap into that resource if needed. And the reason they would need that resource is that the local government liaisons can be kind of a forward observer for the federal family. They typically go out individually into counties or if FEMA has broken up the area, the affected area, into what they call branches or further subdivided those branches into divisions, they can ask for an LGL, a USACE representative, to fit in at that division level or at that branch level. And the branch is usually several uh, counties or parishes. I have to say parishes because uh, most recent deployments for our local government liaisons were in, in Louisiana. 
So typically they will fit in with FEMA or even down at the county level so that they're talking maybe to that county judge or even to that emergency manager at the county level because they can help them in scoping the missions. They aren't there to try to sell the core, but they're trying to help them understand what help is available and perhaps the best way to find that help. Exactly what Patsy said. The local government liaisons are not there to sell the core. We're there to share the resources that are available. We're there to help them determine their needs and assure that the requests are routed correctly through the state and to the federal family. We're there essentially to assist the locals in determining what they need and how potentially the federal government can fill that need. And so we don't push any of the missions, but we're there to assist all of the missions. We would never overstep our our boundaries and try and execute a debris mission or a blue roof mission. We just facilitate and make that link between the communities and the federal families. Okay, great. And I know both of you have had a long history with the LGL cadre. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to be involved with this? My experience with the local government liaison cadre actually started before there was a certified credentialed cadre. Back in 2004, when the uh, four hurricanes crisscrossed Florida, there was a call to have a USACE representative in all of the affected counties, all of the designated counties under the declaration. We already had an assistant team leader cadre, ESF3 assistant team leader cadre at that time, and we utilized that cadre to fill that role. And basically, it took most of that cadre. So when we actually needed assistant team leaders to fill that kind of role, we didn't have many left. And then the very next year in 2005 with Hurricane Katrina was kind of the same situation. So I say all of that to kind of give you the background of as to why this national cadre was established. And it was first established in 2006. Uh, Louisville District kind of had the lead for it at that time. And then after a few years, the permanent cadre, the ESF3 permanent cadre at headquarters had the responsibility. And I think in 2009, uh, Mr. Pete Noveski was the proponent for it. And then I took it over in 2010. So I've been with them for a while. And Francesca, what about you? What's your history with the LGL cadre? Well, prior to coming to the LGL cadre, I had participated in a few other planning response teams. I was on what was used to be known as the ice and water team. And then that team transferred into what was then called the Combined Commodities Planning and Response Team. I was the liaison on that PRT. And so the liaison position, it was really easy for me to just transfer over into another liaison position, I thought. <laughs> but it turns out that the local government liaison cadre is so much more, um, there's a lot more training that is involved and required. There's a lot more involvement with the government entities, the locals, all different levels of the response phase. What I was used to just working with a local EOC commander and my team then turned into this big, huge thing. It was a transition, but I did that in 2011 and I've been part of the cadre since then. I joined as just a liaison and now I'm actually a subject matter specialist. So I've been plugging away, slowly making some progress and uh, it's been a wonderful experience. So that was a great overview and kind of look backward. And I'd like to understand a little bit more looking ahead. So what is the future of this cadre? How have we evolved over time with it? What's the LGL cadre look like today and and moving into hurricane seasons of the future? 
Well, Nadia, in the recent past, we recognize the fact that the Corps doesn't have all of the mission sets it once had for FEMA. For example, Francesca mentioned the ice, water, and commodities teams, and we relinquished those missions back in, I believe, 2014. So there are some of our MSCs or divisions that did not, they were not a proponent for any specific mission. And I suggested that perhaps it was time that we look at LGL being one of those proponent missions that one of the divisions could have. And SWD raised their hand and said that they would love to take over proponency for the mission. So over the past two years, as was actually planned even prior to COVID, COVID might have slowed us down a little bit because we didn't have in-residence training that one year. But now it's firmly in the hands of Southwestern Division. I think that they will do a wonderful job championing this program. Program. It is still an enterprise-wide cadre in that its members come from across the core. We ask for volunteers. We ask them to submit a nomination package that has to be signed off really by their commander, by their supervisor, to make sure that they can have the kind of commitment we need to be part of this program, because we expect these individuals within six hours notice to be able to be on the road to go to a disaster if needed. I will say that typically we have more notice than that, but that is kind of a worst case scenario that we might have a no notice catastrophic event and we might want people on the road within six hours. So Patsy, that's an interesting point, the uh, ready to deploy within six hours. And that's a commonality with all of our volunteers on all of our teams, right? Like you said, typically we have more time to prepare than that, but worst case scenario, all our volunteers are expected to be able to deploy within six hours. Um, And I want to go into deploy deployments in a little bit, but I want to back up just real quickly because you mentioned training. Francesca, you also mentioned training. And when the LGL cadre was still under the proponency of the permanent cadre, I actually had the good fortune here at the Readiness Support Center to support the LGL training annually for many years. And it was always one of my favorites because it was just so joyful and spirited. And I think it really speaks to the type of person that is attracted to this cadre cadre, to volunteering for this cadre, and that is well-suited for this cadre. Because what's always struck me is that LGLs really have to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You know, you mentioned so many different missions. So, Francesca, Patsy, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about kind of the typical LGL. I mean, I feel like there's certain traits that make a good LGL, and we've seen that throughout the years. I believe that in addition to being able to build trust and relationships quickly, which is definitely what we do, we also must be great communicators. Nadia, you had mentioned that the LGLs have a lot of knowledge and things, but we're, I don't believe, I guess you could say we're a jack of all trades, the masters of none, right? (laughs) Because we rely on the other PRTs to be the masters of their domain. But do you know what I like about that phrase, Francesca, and I think applies here too, jack of all trades, master of none, I think that the end of it is something like, but is better than a master of one, right? So we heard that. Yeah, the the end of the (laughs) phrase gets clipped off. But I think that's important here, too, because they have just so much knowledge about so many different things. It's true. And more than that, they know where to find. Exactly. And so that's where we really shine. We're able to build that trust and those relationships quickly and then guide people to the the right PRT or the, the right resource for their needs. 
So I guess that lends into being a good communicator or communicating well. If you can't communicate correctly what they're looking for, first we have to determine what to help them. So a lot of times they don't even know what they need. They just know that they have an issue. They're struggling with certain things within their community and they don't even know what it would take to fill that need. So we can help walk them through to what that need is, help them determine what that need is. We would never determine what that need is for them and then communicate the correct resource, whether it be the core or a lot of times, I've done this myself, I've identified that that need actually exists within FEMA. Um, A lot of times we can direct people to the voluntary agency liaison. We can look, um, if we're in tune with the community, we know which voluntary agencies are there providing resources and maybe their need doesn't necessarily need to be met by a blue roof or a debris mission, but really they just need a couch. And so local government liaisons can communicate well to help them identify what their needs are and direct them in the proper locations. And Um, May I give a couple of examples in, in recent years? Following Hurricane Laura, one of our roofing QAs went out to do an assessment on a house, and there were huge tree limbs on this house. And that is beyond the scope of our roofing contract. Uh, We can do minor debris removal, but these were large branches. The homeowner was there. He was in a wheelchair, and really there was nothing we could do. But it really hit this quality assurance person on the roofing team. And he reported it back up saying, I felt so bad that I had to say, we cannot do this. So the resident engineer heard and said, well, we've got local government liaisons out. Let's talk to them and see what happens. They talked to the local government liaison who said, oh, Samaritan's Purse is taking limbs off of houses. So they told them, gave them the address, then they went out, took the limbs off the house, and then the person reapplied, submitted another right of entry for the blue roof. So it's not always going to happen this way, but it seems like within that week, somebody else had taken the limbs off to make him eligible once again for blue roof. And he had, you know, a roof over his head, a solid roof over his head. He was able to stay in his home and his home didn't have further damage. So that's one example. And in the most recent one, I believe that Francesca played a role in this one. Following Hurricane Ida last year, we had a couple of indigenous communities in Louisiana that although their homes were dry, they were surrounded by water, and the only way they had access to their homes was via boat. So they assumed that they were not eligible for Blue Roof. They never asked. They just assumed it. So, Francesca, do you want to take over from there about... Sure. I I had the great fortune of meeting Miss Rosemary at a Port Sulphur, Louisiana town hall. And just by virtue of having a conversation, checking in with her, seeing her sitting in and by herself and just checking in with her, she shared the information about this community that, as Patsy said, they were on stilts and surrounded by water. And they had a, a couple of issues that she shared with me. She wasn't, it was so sweet. She wasn't even asking for assistance. She was just sharing what they were experiencing. And I was able to help. I called my mission manager and action officer and let them know that there was a need for blue roofs in this indigenous community. And it was probably three or four homes, but I mean, it wasn't like a huge neighborhood like the blue roof is used to doing. So the action officer and the mission manager coordinated with the blue roof mission manager and action officer and determined that, yes, indeed, they can have access to blue roof, the blue roof mission. They just needed to complete a right of entry. So long story short, we had we did have to navigate, pun intended, navigate a couple of uh, issues, but there were homes in this indigenous community that were built on stilts surrounded by water that received blue roofs. 
And I think, you know, hearing her voice, that's another one of the traits that make a good LGL is the empathy, that checking in with people to make sure they're okay. And I think it's very evident when you go through class, if we have a deployment in a year, the next year at training, we're going to have a panel discussion of what happened. And I know this past year that several people had stories like Francesca's, and you could tell how it affected them that having that one-on-one contact and being able to listen and to hear what the needs are and try to help them to a solution, whether or not it's the Corps of Engineers or whether or not it's federal, that they still try to listen and try to help solve those issues. Because sometimes it's beyond what we can do and we have to go out and find a way, and it may be through voluntary organizations that we can do that. Yeah, those are such beautiful stories. And I think that's one of the things that I love most about the LGLs and the LGL mission is that, you know, have you have you heard that story or that saying where there's a little girl on a shoreline and there's a bunch of starfish washed up on the beach and she's picking up the starfish and she's throwing them back in. And, so, you know, there's an adult or a grown up that says, what are you doing? You can't save them all. And she very calmly says, no, but I can save this one. And I think that's the beauty of LGL, and that's where we've seen more emphasis on the LGL mission and deploying our LGLs, because it's such a great example of meeting people where they are, uh, which is something that the FEMA administrator has said, which is something, you know, in FEMA's strategic plan, just instilling that equity in how we respond and recover to events, how we provide services to those communities and to those individuals. Right. And the examples we just gave are are the smaller examples of these four homeowners in an indigenous area or the one that needed a a roof but needed the limbs off. But the LGLs also in Ida played a larger role in that equity and looking at equity across the response. And it also involved the roofing mission in that we were able to get maps that showed the social vulnerability index And it was actually the LGL action officer and mission manager who kind of got that overlaid with our right of entry collection. And, you know, from the very beginning with the roofing, they are looking at the swath of the storm and and what kind of wind speed. So they know where to expect the type of damage that we're going to be putting temporary roofs on homes. So um, they were able to take this SVI where they know it's a high vulnerability, and they overlaid that with our right of entry collection. They said, hmm, we would have expected more here. How do we know that people are getting the word? How do we know that people are signing up? Talked to the LGL. The LGL went out and said, there's no Internet access here. There's no way for them to sign up. So the LGLs helped the roofing team in, in determining where we needed to do right of entry collection to have the DTOS units, the Deployable Tactical Operations System units out there that would provide them with the internet access so that, you know, people come up and if they have internet access now, they can apply for their blue roof. So they actually played a role in the larger part of that and making sure that everybody who needed it got the chance to sign up. So it's not always the ones and twos. Sometimes their effect is to the larger group. And it's just such an amazing group because the way I described it is they're the ones out there trying to get to yes. They're trying to find our way to yes. Here's some help for you. I've actually deployed 
to Long Island, New York, following uh, Hurricane Sandy, and I was in the Suffolk County EOC. So even though I had instructed this class, I think for three years, I was actually more of an LGL than I was a team leader there. So I felt it. People would come up to me and give me, we want this generator. I could not say whether or not they were going to get that generator. All I could do was tell them, we need to make sure this goes through the proper process. We need to take it over here so the state can submit it. But I felt then how difficult this job is when you have zero authority to say, yes, we will do this or not. But you do want to help them so you find a way to show them that, yes, we we will do what we can. Okay, so we've talked about deployments here, and I do want to back that up to training. We touched on it a little earlier, but what does the training look like for someone who has to be able to talk to all these missions, have all of these inherent soft skills, and as well as just understand how the big mechanism of the federal family works during and after disasters? What's training like? So may I just say, first of all, and this is why I love the LGLs most, for me, and I believe for all the LGLs, it's a time for us to come together as a team and start building our relationships and our support, our own internal support system. Um, because as Patsy mentioned, when we deploy, we deploy individually. But that doesn't mean we can't reach back to our own LGL team or our action officers, our mission manager, or even our proponent, Southwestern Division. So first and foremost, for the LGLs, training is coming together and building relationships. And then additionally, and on top of that, we're a cadre of trained and credentialed local government liaisons. So we're getting a little bit of training on all of the planning and response teams. We're getting training on what it looks like, especially for those folks who have not yet deployed, what it looks like from start to finish when an LGL deploys. As as a matter of fact, even before start, we do a, a really great training module on how to pack and prepare to deploy, which is, again, great for those who have not deployed. Um, I personally get the pleasure of sharing a module about communication. I also get to share a module about the FEMA Voluntary Agency Liaison because I did play that role for two years and sharing to the team what the Voluntary Agency Liaison can provide when you're out in the field, why it's important to make that link with that VAL Voluntary Agency Liaison. And so that's some of the stuff that I as an LGL participant and SMS receive from the training. Right. And I think that we've always, at least since 2010, tried to make the training very interactive. Because these people need to be able to communicate, we have to test those skills. And there are times when you're out in the field where FEMA or the locals may invite you to come to a town hall meeting or, you know, to be a part of some type of press conference or something like that. So we put them on the spot. We do different skits and things like that. For example, we might do a town hall meeting where we give them a scenario to read. We pick two or three people to go up front and be part of the town hall meeting. And then at the end, they are asked questions and they have to answer it based on that scenario we gave them. And I think in the past, we've had a few people say, oh, that would never happen. And we're like, oh. I hate to tell you this, that really did happen. That is from experience. But in the early years, we always had projects that they did in the evening. 
We even start usually with an icebreaker where everybody kind of gets to know each other. And it's really like a family for those who have been on it. And and we try, even in our seating arrangements, that we have somebody who's considered an expert sitting with somebody who has experience being deployed to somebody who's been to training before to somebody new. So there's a wide variety, a wide, a good mix of experience so that they are sharing that and kind of building those teams. But everybody has a chance to speak in this class. One of the things we implemented was the block party. And when the people came in, all they saw on the agenda was block party. And it was like 15-minute block. And we even had music. It was like 60s beach music that started (laughs) playing. And then little did they know we were going to hand them a slip of paper and they were going to have to talk on this subject for three minutes. (laughs) And needless to say, by about the third time when they heard the music, all of them would go, oh, because they knew what was coming. It's true. Even I, at this level of of experience, that music sometimes plays on the radio and it's a trigger for me. I'll hear that music and think, oh, what am I going to talk about? (laughs) Right. So in the past few years, we still have the block parties. We don't have the music anymore, but the people are given their topic about five minutes ahead of time so that they have a little time to prepare. Maybe it's while everybody else is out on break. And especially if you're new, it's nothing about a deployment topic. It's something very generic about maybe your favorite movie and why. But we still get to see how they are able to come up with speaking points and how comfortable they are in delivering it. One of my favorite block party answers we gave this last class, we asked the, the, the participant was asked, would you rather go, if you have the opportunity and the means, would you rather go back in time or forward in the future? And then he had to talk about what he would choose and why. And it was the sweet, it was the sweetest thing. He said, he, I'm going to cry. He wanted to go forward into the future so he could see how his children turned out. It Aww. was the sweet. It was like, he is an LGL. <laughs> That's an LGL right there. It was the sweetest thing. Yeah, honestly, I, I said a little earlier that I've had the pleasure of being able to support the LGL training for many years while it was here in Mobile before it moved over to Southwestern Division. And it's just such a master class in good quality, effective training. It's not death by PowerPoint. There's no lectures. It is just so immersive and interactive. And it's just such a shining beacon of what good training can be. And so it was always just such a pleasure to be involved in that. And I think we teased it up front. So I do want to ask, what's up with national local government liaison? Because it just sounds kind of funny. (laughs) So actually, I went back and researched it. And from the very beginning, I think it had national, even in the prescript admission assignment. But for years, we called it local government liaisons or LGLs. And quite often, we'd get a question. I'd get a question from our LGL subject matter expert saying, oh, I saw, I listened in to the USACE Operations Center call, and they said, that we have LGLs out on the levees. What what are LGLs doing out patrolling levees? And I'd say, oh, no, those were local, local government liaisons. <laughs> so um, some of our districts have local government liaisons. They have liaisons typically to the state that would go to the state EOC. Um, but they also have local government liaisons that may go out to, say, the levee districts or things like that, and they would be out 
um, looking at the levies with the levy districts or the county EMs or something like that. So I believe those districts were asked to rename their cadres to LNOs, and they said no. So in order to find a solution to designate the national from the others, we have officially adopted the national local government liaison name. I see. Well, a rose by any other name, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, so I'm curious, just another couple quick questions here and we'll wrap up, but what do you guys see looking ahead, looking forward for the LGL cadre? Because to me, it seems like, especially with the focus on equity in response and recovery, we're seeing a lot more deployments of this very important cadre than we maybe had in the past. So what are your thoughts on that? I think that you're absolutely correct. With FEMA's focus shifting more towards equity, that's really where the LGLs shine. Because we are embedded in the communities and because we are embedded in the local, county, state emergency operations centers, we have the ability to determine, along with our partners, how we can better serve those communities. And and they know better than we where the needs lie. And so that's why our partnerships can really be a force multiplier. As I think somebody said earlier in the podcast, it's absolutely, we are a force multiplier for the locals to help them get their message to the state level, the federal families. And that's where we're really going to shine. This is our time. Right. And the most recent senior leader seminar, which is attended by the very senior leaders, General Spellman uh, was there with the FEMA administrator and all of the MSCs participated with different FEMA regions that the LGLs were mentioned several times. And I know that the example with the roofs and the uh, communities in Louisiana were brought up. And then I just happened to get a chance to speak and I actually gave credit to the LGLs for identifying that issue. And there was a follow-up phone call later, and once again, the LGLs were mentioned as a best practice because of the fact that they could help with maybe identifying those areas where it may not be that, um, where, where the communities are underserved just because they do not have the proper access to ask for the help, i.e. the internet or things like that, that it, it may be um, a simple issue that can be fixed if it is identified. So I think that the LGLs have definitely been identified as a best practice on both sides. So I think in the future that it's going to be very easy to get requests for deployments under that regional activation mission assignment. Uh, this group is just a fantastic group, and I think it has been the highlight of my career to get to work with such wonderful people who are willing to raise their hand and go and do the most difficult job in the Corps of Engineers in a response. All right. Well, that, I think, was an excellent overview. And before we wrap up today, I just wanted to take this opportunity to say a special thank you to Patsy, who, at the time of this recording, is working her last week and will be retiring after more than 30 years with USACE. So Patsy, I'm going to try and do this without crying, but Patsy has been such a guiding force within the emergency management community of practice for decades. And Patsy, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you how much your career has impacted not only the emergency management community of practice and USACE, but really the nation as a whole, uh, as you've worked to help so many communities recover from disasters over the years. I call Patsy the fairy godmother of the EM community, and it's true. And so... In order to not cry right now, I'll wrap it up. But um, Patsy, we're going to miss you dearly. Uh, And we are just forever grateful to you for all your contributions, 
for all the work you did tirelessly for this community of practice, for all of your innovations, and for mostly and foremost, your steadfast commitment to kindness in just everything that you do. So thank you, Patsy. Thank you, Francesca, for joining us for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you are interested in hearing from. So until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Be revolutionary.